and welcome back to episode number two of LFCS Talks Literacy First's podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Debbie Beyer, the executive director, and she will dig into the story as to what brought her to the place where she started this place that we love called Literacy First Charter School. We'll hear a whole bunch about her personal story and then also about the fundamentals or foundations of what this school is. Um, today is February 22nd, 2023, and we just got back from a President's Day break. So it is Wednesday. And the things that are coming up this week in this next couple of days that is in this week is the Jogathon is this Friday. If it is not raining really hard, the kids will be jogging. And uh, if it is raining really hard, we'll have to figure another program. We have had, looks like this afternoon is the eighth grade information meeting for, I believe, one of the trips. That's tonight at the JA. And we have some other things coming on this week. We have Popcorn Fridays going on and all the normal great literacy first stuff going on this week. So next week, we will have another podcast coming out on Monday. That will be part two of this same podcast because Debbie's interview took a long time. Therefore, we're going to break it into two sections. So we'll really be able to dig into and get good details from her on what caused her to start Literacy First. So without further ado, let's get this going. Hello and welcome back to the Literacy First podcast. I'm sitting here with Debbie Byer, our executive director. Debbie, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do around here? Well, my name's Debbie Byer, and I am the, like you said, the executive director for Literacy First Charter Schools K-12. Um, I've kind of morphed into that. When we first started, I was just kind of a principal. And over the years, because we have more than one campus now, it's turned into a whole network of schools, and I am the executive director. Cool. What exactly is the role that is executive director? What does that I mean? What does that mean? Um, I am kind of the overseer of all programs, kind of the whole entire operation, um, making sure that we are staying true to um, what our charter says it will do, making sure that we're staying true to our mission, vision, and values. Um, just making sure that literacy first stays who it was originally intended to be. Um, and that means I wear lots of hats and do lots of things. It just depends on the day or the hour um, what that is. <laughs> what have you been doing, been doing today? Today? <laughs> well, today has been uh, one of those crazy kind of days. I've been over at the Liberty Academy because our third graders are doing a variety show there tonight. And so I was over there um, helping them get all those things together. Today we were missing chairs and we had to find out where had the chairs disappeared. So um, we figured out that solution. I worked with a little kid. We had some a sub that needed some help. Um, I came over to the primary academy. It's Wonkamania. And so second grade is having like the Super Bowl of, of second grade days. Um, and so there was lots of things going on there. Um, we had a sub there that was being an Oompa Loompa and didn't exactly know how to do that. And so I was kind of helping her get her things figured out. The wind was blowing. It was knocking everything down. So we tried to figure out a way to make the wind not blow. I don't know that fell in the purview of an executive director, but that was part of my Pretty job. Pretty sure today. it does. I've heard people demand more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we were trying to make the wind not blow. And, um, I was dealing with some kiddos, um, talking to some parents, um, looking at um, our housekeeping things today, we had some issues with housekeeping. So water fountain's not working, bathroom's leaking. It's just kind of a gamut of all the things, just making sure that um, the well-being of Literacy First is always on my mind. Got it. So kind of like that one Essler our high schoolers have. The buck stops with... The buck stops here. Yeah, at the that's executive me. director, right? Right. Buck <laughs> stops here. Awesome. 
Okay, so we're going to get into some kind of a deep dive into what caused you to start Literacy First, because Debbie is not only the executive director now of Literacy First, she founded this school from the start. Um, before Literacy First even had a campus or a single student, she spent, I think, over a year building the place that we all call home and school. So, Debbie, what is the story, or I, mean, I know the story is long, but what is the story that led you to the point where you decided to start Literacy First? Um, well, you know that saying about, you know, um, your steps are ordered. I kind of think that's kind of how my story was. Um, and it goes way back to when I was a little kid, not really knowing that. Um, my parents, when I was about 10 years old, my dad was transferred to the Marshall Islands. Um, and he was there on work, but in the middle of all of that, they got involved in missionary ministry. I got to be a part of all of that with them and worked with a lot of people that were very different than me and saw a totally different way of life and saw um, how many things they didn't have. And so that just kind of stuck in my head. Um, as I grew up, um, I grew up in New Mexico where um, there are a variety of cultures that were very different than mine, but it was my culture is where I lived. Um, but I noticed how that different kinds of People behave differently depending on how they were taught, what who their parents were, what their culture was, what their heritage was. It was all curious to me. I went to New Mexico State University um, and got my bachelor's as a teacher and then also got a minor in Spanish because that was the culture that I was immersed in. Um, my first teaching job was working um, at a small school in the middle of a cotton field um, and I had I was the whitest thing in the classroom. Um, so I had lots of little boys and girls that didn't speak English. I spent most of my day teaching in Spanish. Uh, we moved to California. Hold on a second. Do you speak Spanish? I do speak Spanish. Do you surprise people with that sometimes? I surprise people with that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Not as good as I used to because I don't speak it every day, but yes, I do speak Spanish. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Continue. Um, so we moved here to California and, um, to go to school, but we ended up, this was ended up being home for the next 40 plus years. Um, I worked in a public school there. I got a job in a public school over in Spring Valley. Um, and um, same sort of diversity, but completely different cultural piece, completely different attitude of teachers. The whole thing was really shocking to me as a young girl um, in my early 20s about how teachers behaved and um, how the union controlled and um, the politics of it all. It was just all shocking to me. Um, and this was back in what, the 70s, The right? 70s. This is back the, 70s, mid-70s. And um, the unions had control that then, much that disturbed you in the 70s as well? Yes. Wow. And so um, I went to my principal on one occasion because there was a completely shocking incident that happened that I observed with the teacher that I felt like the teacher should be removed immediately because she was not safe. Her kids weren't safe in her classroom and he needed to do something with it. And he said to me, um, Debbie, I could never get her out of that classroom because the, cl the union would back her up. Mm. And that day wow. I realized that these were not my people and I couldn't be here. Um, so I started looking for a different place to serve and be a teacher, um, I found a, a small private school to be a part of, um, took about a half of my salary cut 
to move to go to this place to teach. And I taught there for um, several years before I started having, having babies and um, realized in that process that um, that wasn't a perfect place either. It was a private school and people paid. And so they paid. They expected you to pre- perform because they were paying you. Um, and it really didn't have to do with what was best for their kids necessarily is what was convenient for them because they were paying you. And that did not um, seem like the best place either. Um, so when I started having babies, I decided I would do something different. I stayed at home. Um, and um, that was when homeschooling was becoming a thing. And so I was working on my master's at that point. I did a master's in um, parents' involvement in their kids' education, the parents' impact in their kids' education, and realized at that point there was very little to be said about that, except one thing that Ronald Reagan said. This was, again, back in the early 80s, that children, parents were the most important influence in a kid's life. And I took that to heart and realized that that's what I was going to do, is take that role in my kids' lives and help other parents do the same thing. So I started a small homeschooling support group that helped moms and dads that were homeschooling their kids at home and helped them have some accountability, helped them choose curriculum, helped do testing. We did field trips. Um, And one day when I had about 200 kids in my backyard, I thought maybe I should do something different than this because my backyard (laughs) and my garage were full of kids. And so at that point, we kind of made it more formal and we started meeting once a week at a location where we could have class days once a week. Um, And I continued doing that for a lot of years um, until I went back into the classroom. Um, This idea of charter schools came around because my dad was involved. He was on the State Board of Education in New Mexico, and he said, Debbie, this charter school thing is you. You need to get involved in this. I was at a place in my life where that just made no sense to me. Um, I had no bandwidth to figure that out, but um, your steps are ordered, and so I got connected with this group and started looking into the charter movement and realized that this probably was something that would make a difference because could we not come up with a school where parents were still involved, where kids could feel safe and where you were doing what was developmentally and academically appropriate for kids just because it was right and could not all kids, no matter their ethnic background or their economic background, take advantage of this? Could that not be a possibility? That was the magic window that I felt like charter schools opened up. Mm. And that was the idea, was could we not make a place where kids could come and their needs would be met? It could be a classic American education. They could be taught the all the things that were important in character education, as well as the academic piece, their parents could still be involved and teachers could stay connected and teachers could be trained and work as teams to do what was best for children. Could that not happen? So that was the dream behind Literacy First. Um, So I started down that path and it was um, two and a half years. I wrote grants. Um, There was a whole lot of shenanigans. It was a federally funded thing. Um, I did a lot of research on best models and best practices. Um, Finally wrote two different charters and got both of those charters approved. Pulled together a team of people that were willing to risk with me at that time because it was kind of like, you're going to do what? You're going to do what? And so I kind of, you know, threw it out to some people that I knew that were educators that would be risk takers, maybe be risk takers 
to one or two, and then other people would call and go, hey, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to be in on it. And so that wound up being a band of about five people um, that helped kind of begin it, and then we had to find a place. I'd been driving by this location for years, and I thought somebody needs to put a school there. And um, I, I knew in my head who should put a school there, but they weren't doing it. But it was at a church that had an empty building, and it was in the one of the lowest socioeconomic areas of San Diego County, and it seemed like a perfect location. So when I started thinking about where would I do this, I knew exactly where I'd do this because I'd been talking about it in my head for about 10 years. Um, so I went over to this place and drove into the parking lot and there was a new sign in the, in the, in the yard because it had been one kind of a church and now it said St. Michael's Chaldean Catholic Church. <laughs> and I didn't know what any of that was. I mean, the only thing I'd ever heard of was Chaldeans was or of Chaldees in the Bible. I had to do something with that. I didn't, you know, none of that. So I walked in the door and there was a lady there and I said to her, is the the pastor or the priest or the father and she said his name you know and she and I said yes is he here and she said just a minute so she went and got the the father and we sat down and talked I kind of pitched him my idea would he be interested in us putting a school there um, that we could you know educate kids that were in this area um, he wanted to know, would it be a Catholic school? I said, no, no, it would be a public school. He was concerned that we would be teaching against his religion. I said, no, 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 we, we are people of character, and we would not be doing something like that. And we would be able to pay you rent for these buildings because you're not using them. And then he said, we will talk. And so that <laughs> began the conversation of finding a location for our first what we ended up calling the primary academy. Hmm. At first, it was just Literacy First Charter School because that was the only one there was. What year was that? That was in... 19, in um, 2001? 2000. 2000. Because we... Um, it was in the spring of... I had submitted the charter to Cone Valley in July of 2000, and they just ignored me and said, we don't want to do that. So I ended up having to get um, a friend of mine who's an attorney, who's a charter school person, to go with me to say, look, you, this is a legal thing. You can't just say no. Um, it became a whole process. Cone Valley turned us down. There wasn't many charters around at that there point. There were none. I mean, we were, yeah. I yeah. mean, in San, in San Diego, there was, what, one, two, maybe? Just, yeah, yeah. And so not not... not, not None of the districts really had an idea no. as to what this charter right. thing was. They get an application and they're like, what? I don't, I don't yeah, want to. Yeah. And Cajon Valley was in a teacher strike right there. They were having a teacher you know, thing with their union. And so they were not wanting to give anything that would see like they were being uh, pro, pro, pro charter school, which would be anti-union. And so they were sure they were going to say no to this school, no matter what we did. They ran us through the ringer kangaroo court approval disapproval they disapproved our charter and so the next day after they disapproved i went to the county because i found out that um there was a very pro charter person at the county at that point and he told me that there was this process called an appeal and it had a timeline on it but i had an appeal within a certain amount of time and if i did that then it would go to the county and the county would then take it on to look at approving it through the county so that's what we did um, we got the charter approved through the San Diego County Board of Education like June 13th of 2001. 
School was starting August 23rd of 2001. So we had no building, we had no books, we had no desks, we had no teachers. We just had this big idea. Um, uh, we had the, the team that had said they would be a part of it. Lisa Mordegai, Stacey Harrell, Jerry Keough, they were my wing people. And so we pulled together. Um, I went and I talked to the church. They said we could rent this thing. We had um, this small board that was you know, a lot of my friends that said they would help us. Um, we pulled together a deal. We had no money. We couldn't afford anything. I mean, we, we had, we were, you know, Jerry and I were like, who's mortgaging their house at this point, which I didn't even own a house at that point. So (laughs) all the things were crazy. Um, uh, we just figured we were going to have to kind of work in arrears. Um, the whole beginning of it was crazy because we were associated with another organization that was supposed to be a management company. And that guy was just a lot of hot air and he really couldn't perform either. (laughs) So payroll, all of that stuff was really a mess until October, until we kind of got a handle on it. And, um, but we started in knowing we had a building. It was full of people that had been using all the classrooms for little stores and, you know, markets and stuff. We had to clean out all that stuff. We had to clear it all out. We chopped down trees. Um, we had to rip out carpet, we knocked down walls. I mean, it was just all hands on deck. Um, Jerry drove to Bakersfield. We got a bunch of used furniture. Um, they, it was parked in my side yard. It got all rusted. We had to sand it all off with, you know, steel wool. It was just all the things. Um, it was just a crazy time of about six weeks. We, we put flyers on doors. We put flyers in churches. We put ads in the penny saver. Um, and we had meetings, you know, in a class, in a, in a building that had no, no, just concrete floors and no painted walls. Parents would come and say, I'm going to trust you to put my kids in your school. I mean, that's the most shocking thing. Um, we, by August 23rd, whenever we opened school, we had 114 little boys and girls in school uniforms with their little backpacks. And we had, uh, a kindergarten, a K-1, a first grade, a second grade, a third grade. So we had five classrooms. We could have a staff meeting around a lunch table. Um, and we started school. That's the way it started. Wow. What does a staff meeting look like today? Staff meetings now, <laughs> the one we just had last week, we had about um, 160 teachers around 20 tables with eight chairs, and we fed them all lunch. Um, staff meetings at every campus, you know, every staff meeting has got 30 to 50 people in it. Our classified staff is about almost a hundred. I mean, it's about 200 employees. Um, it's about a $28 million budget. The first year it was less than a little different. First year it was less than $300,000. <laughs> I think our, what is it? Is our, how big are each of the class or the grade level teams? Six teachers? It depends. We have grade level teams because we have grade grades at each, at two campuses of each. And so the teams are either six or seven in each grade level team. In other words, our grade level teams are about as big or bigger, bigger than, than your original staff. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a dream that you couldn't have dreamed it. Um, you know, it started out as a little, a little cloud in the sky, and it has gone beyond what the dream could have ever been. It's kind of like. It's kind of like it was supposed to happen. Yeah, hmm. that's when I said your steps are ordered. Yep. That's how it went. 
Well, I hope you enjoy that part one interview with Debbie Beyer. We will continue the conversation in Monday's podcast that will be coming out in about five days where Debbie will really dig into where she got the strength to do this thing that really no one around here was doing and it started a charter school and to build it into what it became or what it has become today. So hope you enjoyed the podcast today and we look forward to sharing with you more on Monday. And again, like I've said before, parents, we want you in the classroom. Come talk to your teachers, talk to the administrators, find a way to be involved in this school. Part of the magic of what makes Literacy First, the Literacy First, is you. The parents of the students who've chosen to bring their students here also are involved in what happens on campus. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.